Welcome everyone to The Real News Network. My name is Maximilian Alvarez. I'm the editor-in-chief here at The Real News, and it's so great to have you all with us. The Real News is an independent, viewer-supported, nonprofit media network, which means we don't do ads, we don't do paywalls, and we don't take corporate cash. So we need each one of you to become a supporter of our work so we can keep bringing you coverage of the voices and issues you care about most. So please head on over to therealnews.com forward slash support. Become a monthly sustainer of our work. It really makes a difference. Back in October for a Battleground Baltimore edition of the Real News Network podcast, I got to speak with Andrew and Caleb, two graduate student workers at the prestigious Johns Hopkins University here in Baltimore, who have been deeply involved with the effort by graduate students to unionize under the banner of Teachers and Researchers United. The current union drive was still in its early stages when we recorded that interview, but things have certainly picked up steam since then. In fact, a supermajority of grad student workers signed union cards in October and November, and now an official date for a union election has been set. Eligible bargaining unit members will cast their votes on whether or not to unionize and affiliate with the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers, or UE, on Monday, January 30th and Tuesday, January 31st of this year. This election comes amid a wave of labor actions that have been spreading throughout the world of higher education here in the United States, with recent and current strikes taking place at the University of California, at the New School in New York, at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and with other graduate student worker unionization efforts happening at universities like Northwestern in Evanston, Northeastern University in Boston, and beyond. To get an up-to-date look at the unionization drive at Johns Hopkins and to discuss where this rank-and-file movement came from and how it's grown since our last report in October, I was honored to sit down with Jasmine and Martin from Teachers and Researchers United in the Real News studio here in Baltimore. Here's our interview, recorded just under two weeks before the pivotal union election is set to take place at the end of this month. Hi, I'm Jasmine Gray. I'm a third-year uh, PhD graduate student at Hopkins in the Biochemistry, Cellular, and Molecular Biology program. A mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I have been working with the unionization efforts um, for graduate students at Hopkins uh, for about two years now, and it's been getting pretty real lately, so mm -hmm. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm Martin Diepis, and I am in the program for molecular biophysics, third year. I've been involved with True since uh, July of last year, and, you know, it's a mouthful too, but bottom line is I'm a worker. Hell yeah. Well, Jasmine Martin, thank you both so much for coming down to the Real News studio and chatting to us about this. As uh, our viewers and listeners and readers know, uh, you know, y'all have been in a really exciting uh, unionization effort at Johns Hopkins, a mainstay of Baltimore, right, a fixture of the city uh, where, you know, academic workers like yourselves 
make the university run, right? And the last time that we checked in with um, the campaign to unionize uh, graduate workers at Hopkins uh, with the United Electrical Workers uh, under the banner of Teachers and Researchers United was when I got to chat with Caleb and Andrew for the Real News podcast back in October. Uh, and it and it felt like things were really kind of starting to pick up steam at that point. Uh, but as you said, Jasmine, a lot has happened since then and a lot is heating up now as y'all have finally secured an election date. Uh, the election is going to be taking place at the end of this month, January 30th and 31st. Folks will be voting in person and then we're going to find out uh, whether or not Hopkins uh, workers are now officially unionized. So it's it's a really yeah exciting time and uh, this is all taking place amidst a lot of activity going on in higher education, in the labor movement writ large. So we're going to dig into all of that. But I guess I wanted to start kind of where we left off in October when Caleb, Andrew, and I got to talk a bit about the campaign up until that point. So I was wondering if y'all could, you know, say for, for real news viewers and listeners, like what's happened since then, since October to now as we approach the election date, give us a give us a play-by-play -play of what it's been like uh, on, on the ground over there at Hopkins. Awesome. So basically towards the end of October, we had our card drop rally uh, over at the Homewood campus where we had around 400 uh, graduate students come out and we gave pretty inspiring speeches on all of the pillars uh, that we are focusing on for our campaign. We dropped cards and we hit supermajority extremely fast. Um, it was really shocking how many signatures we got. Um, so quickly, it was less than a month we got the supermajority. So we're really proud of that part of the campaign. Um, and like, I, just to refresh, like fewer folks who are watching and listening to this, like the threshold to trigger, you know, like an NLRB election is 30%, yep. right? And so, you know, we're maybe hoping to get past that, but then you ended up with a supermajority. Yeah, that's wild. So, yep, 60 plus percent grad students said, mm, we want a union, so. We're pretty proud of that oh, achievement. Yeah. Yep. And then after that, we, you know, uh, got our election, or we said that we are able to have an election, and then uh, we started basically mobilizing a another campaign for students to commit to voting yes when the time comes, mm. um, and that was to get the word out that we have an actual election now and um, we need people to know about this election so that people can show up and vote when the time comes. So that's a brief overview of where we're at now. And what's like, Martin, I was wondering if you could say a little more about um, just the, the vibe that you've gotten from, you know, within your department, the other folks that you're talking to and uh, I guess any, any insights into how the university's responded, the campus community has responded in that time? Sure, sure. If, um, if I'm talking about vibes, I'm talking about walkthroughs, which is our go-to way of reaching out to people that um, haven't heard about the union yet or um, people who do support but haven't yet committed to 
doing something a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And like Jasmine, um, I was also really surprised at how good the numbers were, even though I was going from lab to lab, building to building, introducing myself, talking about things. Um, because I was expecting to meet people who were anti-union, against the concept, right? In principle, they don't like it. I've talked to a lot of people. I've walked through a lot of buildings. I've met almost nobody like that. The enemy's apathy. Mm. People think that, oh, even if we did get it, it wouldn't change anything, or, oh, I believe in all those things, but I don't know if I want to take time away from my research to do. Mm-hmm. So the vibe that I've been seeing is that there's less of that now. And um, we feel pretty strong going into this election. Which is like, in and of itself, like that's a pretty significant shift from what I, even I remember, um, you know, organizing on campus back when I was a graduate student at the University of Michigan. Right. Shout out to GEO. Um, but like, you know, and, and, and the folks, you know, the organizers at GEO did an incredible job. You know, I was, I was a dues paying member, but like there were campaigns that, that we were involved in, solidarity campaigns with the lecturers and, and all that good stuff. Um, and I just remember so distinctly that it really did matter, like what departments people were in. Right. And, you know, not to paint with too broad a brush, but in general, the humanities and social sciences were more gung ho about joining a union. It was it took a little more convincing from people in the hard sciences. Right. And I think like what's been really interesting to see, not just at Hopkins, but especially there is is this does feel like something that is uh, spreading across like the different departments and and. I'm not going to say that those divisions aren't there. I imagine like they still are. You know, people have different kinds of relationships with their advisors, depending on what department they're in. If you're in a lab under, you know, a specific uh, uh, professor, it can feel like a much more intimate and high stakes sort of relationship to navigate than, say, a, a humanities advisor you check in with every couple months. Right. Um, it, it, so is that. Am I reading that right, that there, there's kind of like less of that sort of intra-departmental division and factionalism that you're seeing in this campaign? I guess for us, when we look broadly across all of the different schools, from the humanities to the sciences, there, that is not happening. People are on the same page of we need a union, which is how we, I, that, which is how I think we got to the supermajority mm-hmm. card signers so fast, because across the board, everybody's sick of this shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, we deserve better than what Hopkins is providing us across the board. Um, and perhaps the, what the differences lie is the different, the different pillars that we stand for. Like, certain groups might think, oh, we definitely need a higher stipend, while others think, oh, well, I need transportation to be mm-hmm. better. So we have, since the, the brush itself of what we were fighting for is so broad, that is why it, it resonates with so many students here. Um, but when you zoom in, I feel like a little bit closer is when you kind of start seeing those patterns mm-hmm. of certain um, areas potentially having some difference in opinion on the unionization sure. um, and difference in you know willingness to be a part of the efforts. Um, but overall, I feel like a lot of us are on the same page. 
Hell yeah. Well, well, let's. Oh, sorry. Please go ahead. Oh, um, yeah. I would, I would say that I've, there's always like slight differences in numbers. There's departments that are harder to get into, lower number of organizers, what have you. Um, and you know, there's this, I guess, cultural notion that's like, oh, well, my research is more translatable to medicine or something, so I should get paid more than the person who. If you ride the same bus as me, right? If you're trying to figure out how to make rent and buy groceries, and you don't get overtime when you work a 60-hour week, then we all the important things um, we've got those in common. So, what it says on the degree doesn't matter. Oh yeah. Well, let, let's drill down on that because I, I, you know, I talked at length with Caleb and Andrew about this back in October, and that that podcast that we did. Uh, was before the the you know card drive that you mentioned, uh, so it was very exciting to like publish that interview and then like I think the next week see how many cards y'all got signed. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> this campaign's got juice, right? Um, but I wanted to re just remind everyone watching and listening like where this campaign came from, right? Like what what are those key issues that y'all have been mobilizing around that have been able to cut through the very thick ideology that academia, you know, like uh, uh, puts on people, right? Because it's it can still be hard to kind of convince folks in academia that they are workers, right? Or that they, uh, they deserve a union as much as anybody else, right? I mean, so like, what were the kind of key issues that graduate workers at Hopkins were facing that led so many of y'all to feel like a union was the kind of collective path to addressing these issues? Um, yeah, from, from I guess, uh, relationships with managers or department heads or cost of living or uh, transportation. Talk to Talk to us more about... Yeah, like what those sorts of key issues were that, that galvanized so many of y'all to be part of this effort. Mm -hmm. um, the, I think the, a major, they're all extremely important, but the one that I feel like resonated with majority of graduate students was a livable wage or a wage that is consistent with the cost of living, which mm -hmm. it is not even close. Especially, and, and the variation across the entire school of that, what the stipend is, even though we're all out here doing work, working 40 plus hours a week, usually the plus is there. Mm. Um, but some people are getting paid significantly less. You could be honestly in the exact same space, but if they're from a different program, they're getting paid differently than you, even if you're doing the same work. And I think that discrepancy and that pillar is why it resonates with so many um, students uh, at the school. Um, another main pillar is fair or on-time payments, which you wouldn't think that's a, that'd be a problem. That I feel like that's, you know, I expect my paycheck to arrive on time, mm -hmm. but that hasn't been the case for hundreds of students. And even more shockingly, students have not gotten paid on time several times in a row. <laughs> so they're missing their paycheck for a month. And the Hopkins basically says, uh, sorry about that. Won't happen again. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're triggering me right now because I, I, <laughs> I remember when this happened to me as a grad student at the University of Michigan. 
And they were just like, oh, yeah, like, it'll get there eventually. I was like, what do you want me to tell my landlord? Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, and it, yeah, it, I just can't with that. But I'll let Martin. Their answer, the, an administrator told me, uh, go get more credit cards. No way. Yeah. That was, that was their, that was their response to me when I was like, look, I don't have rich parents who can be helping me right now. I came to grad school from working in a restaurant in Chicago. I spent all the money I saved on my deposit for the apartment and the U-Haul. I don't have any extra money now. Like, I need my check on time. And their response was, well, take out more loans or get credit cards. And that's how, that's how much disdain they show for... Like, again, I, I don't care if you're watching this and you're thinking, well, grad grad students don't have as hard of a job as, like, you know, tree cutters in Maine. Like, whatever the fuck you think about that. Pardon my French. It's just like, that doesn't mean you deserve to get to not get paid on time, to not, you know, uh, be able to afford keep a roof over your head or buy groceries or have any semblance of uh, a, a life outside of work, uh, which you're not allowed to have because you're driving for uber right or you're doing anything you can to just like make the bills and um yeah you really do see people's true colors when they talk about stuff like this like they try to qualify uh your humanity based on like the kind of job that you have and like you said it's like look we're all doesn't matter what we're doing we all should have a roof over our heads we should have access to you know buses and we should be able to buy groceries um so to continue what Jasmine was saying about the late pay issue, what really galvanizes people about it is that it's insult to injury. Because mm -hmm. um, you're already not getting paid a living wage, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you look into why it happens, it's not because the person getting paid late did anything wrong, mm -hmm. right? It happens for reasons like you got a fellowship the source of your funding changes. Someone in an administrative office somewhere drops a ball, right? But then how do you handle that, right? Do you say, oh, we're sorry about that, we'll make it right? More often than not, you get a scary email from someone saying, oh, you're no longer in compliance with whatever this is, mm -hmm. and you have to get us this form, or like there's gonna be no record of your employment, mm -hmm. right? Or, or or it happens because um, there's delays in processing paperwork if you're an international student. Again, insult to injury. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard enough if you're not making a living wage, you don't have any savings, paycheck doesn't come. What if not only do you not have any savings, you don't have a, a base of support in this country yet, right? That's, a, that's another thing that's part of the platform. Um, better support for international students, um, ways of making sure that the fees that they incur for visas and stuff like that is something that the university could cover. Mm -hmm. And it, my, my program, PMB, has a sister program, Jenkins, which is entirely international students. And that's where, that's where the, the contrast is more visible than anywhere, anywhere else, in my opinion, because you have this group of people that are motivated for the same reasons you are, take all the same classes you do, um, do all the same work at the same level that you do, except the responsibilities aren't the same. Um, PMB students, if they want to, as a way of 
uh, adding to their CV can TA. Mm -hmm. Jenkins students have to, right? It's expected of them. And, the, and it's nothing to do with the value of the work, because we do the same work. It has everything to do with the fact that um, international students are not in a position to bargain as much mm -hmm. as domestic students. And that's what needs to change. As for the, you know, woodcutters, right? Maybe my job isn't as hard as their job. Um, but if they're unionized, I want to know how they deal with getting paid late on time. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about, well, what can one experience do to help or learn from the other? And it has nothing to do with better, worse, or harder, or easier. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. If we have a position of privilege, we want to use it to open the door for everyone else. Hell yeah. Yeah, so Martin Luther King said all labor has dignity, right? And everyone, every worker, you know, has rights, right? And exercising those rights is something that we should all support. I don't give a shit what they do. Um, and I think that you know, it, it's it's really incredible to to hear all this, especially given like where we are now in the state of the labor movement, um, both here in the U.S. and and beyond, right? Because as we've covered a lot here at the Real News Network, a lot of workers in different types of workplaces in different industries, including those that have been traditionally very hard to unionize like fast food, right, or the service industry in general, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of really kind of exciting action taking place from Starbucks Workers United to the Amazon Labor Union, but also uh, movements within uh, existing unions like the UAW uh, holding a referendum that would allow uh, the membership to directly elect their international leadership. Um, that was also a really pivotal move that happened last year. Um, you know, we're seeing workers strike and organize, but we're also seeing shit really pop off in higher ed specifically. Right. And, and we've also um, been trying to cover this as much as we can at The Real News. But we just had the University of California strike, 48,000 academic workers uh, at the time hitting the picket line, uh, non-tenure track faculty at the new school. Um, like what y'all are doing at Hopkins, we're seeing grad student unions uh, and unionization efforts at places like Northwestern, Northeastern. Like, and then we've got the lectures across the United Kingdom going on strike. Like, so it feels like something's really happening here in higher education. And I wanted to just ask you guys, like, if that's your sense too. And, and like, if, if there are exchanges that you're involved in on the ground, conversations you're getting into or vibes that you're sensing, like, is there something different about this moment that you're seeing through this organizing or for folks watching and listening, like what would you say from the conversations you're getting in, what you're seeing on campus of like why folks on in higher ed are, uh, you know, hitting, hitting, going to the mat for the, about this stuff. Yeah. I'm in my opinion, I'm, I think, or in the experiences I've been through to date, it's, Recent times have been so crazy, as we have seen, you know, in social media and the news. I feel like inflation is up extremely high, especially this year and last year. And 
um, paychecks haven't really budged much more than the, the their marginal two to three percent increase that is not consistent with the inflation. So people are unable to pay their bills oh, across the entire country. I can't really speak for the UK. Oh no, they, they can't pay shit. Their, their cost of living crisis there too. We're all getting fucked, except the rich. Sorry. So true. <laughs> Everywhere, We're, we we do not have enough money to live a. Um, what's the word? I can't think of the word. We we don't have the money to live the way that we all deserve as human beings. Our fundamental, I feel like, right to living on this earth is being able to house yourself, eat food every day, you know have uh, reliable transportation, which is another one of our pillars that I did mention earlier, mm -hmm. um, having access to reliable transportation. All of these things, due to the shift in climate of the world, are kind of just not, the standard is not moving with the what the people need. Mm -hmm. And people are angry, justifiably, about that across the whole world. And I, I also feel like, I had just thought of this as you, as you asked, um, I feel like it has to do with, as well, like the academia is becoming increasingly, very slowly, but more diverse. Um, and people are not content anymore with the current or what had been done in the old days because the old day practices were for the majority, how the majority was, and they were comfortable with that, you know people who have a lot of privilege were typically the individuals entering academia who had parents to pay for when their stipend wasn't covering their meals. Oh, you could just ask your parents for a little extra money. Your car breaks down, you can ask your parents for some money. But as increasing, we have an increase of URMs entering um, in now, not everybody has uh, something to fall back on in that money to get from somebody else. And to be in academia these days, you if you don't have that extra pillow, it's really difficult when you fall on hard times, an emergency happens. You're, as I say, your car breaks down, which happened to me. Uh, you know, expenses just come out of nowhere sometimes and the stipend doesn't cover that anymore. Maybe it used to, but not today. Yeah, and we don't just wanna survive, we wanna thrive, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're doing very, specialized work, stuff that it takes years to learn how to do well, um, work that the university runs on. It would be nice to go to a place with a name like Hopkins and get more out of that than pizza and promises. <laughs> but, you know, so far that's the way it's been. So we don't look to the administration, we look to each other, mm -hmm. right? We try to figure that out. As for the larger labor movement, I, I take pictures of bacteria, I'm not a labor historian. <laughs> the way that I've felt that it's different is again on walkthroughs, on one-to-one -one conversations with people. I find that there's something very powerful about talking to a person and I don't have to say to them, oh look, okay, here's what a union is, here's what the bargaining does, here's like what a contract could do, and then like all the way down the line we could get, I could just say, MIT is getting a raise. Mm. You don't think you deserve one? Mm. Mm -hmm. And then school spirit mm -hmm. kicks in, right? <laughs> like then, then people 
can point to something that they can understand and relate to, and then all of a sudden it's it's not it's not scary or anything, mm -hmm. right? Then they can see themselves as part of a union. And I think that academia has a lot of things wrong with it. One of the things that's good about it is that we're all very used to um, using each other's ideas, right? That's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, the way it manifests for us is that we've seen a winning strategy play out at other places that are not that different mm -hmm. from the place that we work, um, where people not that different from us are doing things that like a year ago I thought could not happen. Mm -hmm. So um, it's there, but I can't speak to uh, the general trend. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, and, and, and even there it's like, I'm hearing so many echoes in what y'all are describing, echoes of other folks that we've talked to over the past year, right? Myself and and my colleague, the great Mel Buer, who is now an associate editor here, we both talked to folks uh, at Indiana University, right? Uh, the grad workers who were on strike last year. And like one of the things that they were on strike over is the fees that you mentioned. They're like, it's the university like giving us a stipend and then charging 60% of that stipend back in fees. So it's like they're just giving us the money so we hand it right back. How does that make any sense, <laughs> right? Um, and then you got to factor in, yeah, like rising rent costs and stuff like that. So like, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important for folks to sort of see how even if – you know, this isn't like a, a unified movement, right? A lot of this energy is coming from uh, similar sources and it is exciting to see more folks in, you know, localized struggles learn from what's working in other parts of the country or even other parts of the world. Um, you know, that that in itself, I think, is a, is a really exciting development and you know, I would just say this is this is really I'm speaking for myself, not not for either of you, not for uh, the folks at Hopkins. But like one thing that I, that's been on my mind, particularly as a, a you know former Ph.D. student in the humanities, is that one of the biggest sort of sticks, right, that they had to beat us into subservience was the promise of an academic job, right. The, the, the belief that at the end of that stick, the carrot at the end of that stick, if you just kept your head down, if you didn't rock the boat, if you didn't publish shit in public that was going to get you in trouble, right? If you just, you know, like uh, uh, stayed the course and, uh, you know, eventually were, you were rewarded with a tenure track job and you got to the point where you were protected by tenure, then you can try to change the system, right? That's what they would always tell us. And I think that so many of us dreamed that dream so hard and wanted it so bad that uh, we did curtail our, our political activities, right? We didn't rock the boat when we might have otherwise done so because that thought of, you know, my, the fucking up my future and everything that I've worked for, uh, you know, kind of kept us in check. And it's just been so heartbreaking for me, if, you know, First to get, you know, spat out of academia, striking out on the job market like so many other people have uh, before COVID and then just watching it crater 
over the past few years and seeing so many people who had put so much time and effort into their craft, to their degrees, all kind of job prospects within academia just disappeared. And I don't want to minimize that. So that's why I spend so much time talking about it. But I do remember there was something liberating for me when I didn't have that hanging over my head. And I was like, well, fuck it. I can organize. Like, I'm, I'm on campus, right? <laughs> I can publish what I want, right? If I don't have to think about becoming a tenure-track professor at some Ivy League college, suddenly, like, it seems like there are more opportunities for me to do what I actually want. Has that, I, I guess, is a long roundabout way of asking, like, has that played a role in it? Like, the kind of shifts in higher education since COVID hit? Like, has... How has that kind of factored into to folks like the energy that you're seeing on campus? I feel like with COVID, a lot of us, including myself, kind of realized the value of our own lives. Like, I, it's it's so crazy to think about. Like before, I was just you know I'm working, I'm on my track to becoming you know whatever it is I'm going to become, but. I think COVID made us slow down and realize that actually my life matters right now. You know, like people are dying of COVID. I could get COVID and die in the next week. I feel like that thought came across a lot of people's head. And then they, we worked from home. You know, we got to be with our families more often. We, we actually realized, oh, I don't just care about work anymore. I also care about all these other things. And I feel like that's a lot where the mind, mental shift has come from, especially in our generation of academia is that we realize that, you know, there's more to life than working. And I think that is a hard pill to swallow for some of the higher ups in academia that to us, there's more to life, at least, even though I do, I love my research, but I also love other things like drawing and going outside and seeing the sun. <laughs> um, so. That's, that's kind of my take on what COVID did to the mindset um, and why seemingly not everybody is on board with the straight through academia track as much as they used to be. Cause, and there's also so many more options now. Um, but yeah, my point is that our life now matters and that's why we are fighting so hard because who knows where I'll be in 10 years. You know, will I be a professor? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. will I be making this phantom amount of money that I keep being promised and why I should just suck it up right now? <laughs> Um, which I, that's argument, I can't stand it. <laughs> um, because I feel like, yeah, now I matter. So I should be getting paid as if I matter to this university. Oh, that's beautifully put. Um, and, and like, you know, the, the, and I, and I know I gotta wrap this up and let you guys go, but it's like, I feel like maybe Caleb and Andrew and I spoke about this, uh, in that podcast for the real news, um, back in October, but like, this is another echo that I'm hearing not just in higher ed, but in in manufacturing, logistics, um, yeah, service industry, is COVID also showed us why it's so important for bosses to not have unilateral power to make consequential decisions without any input from the rank and file. So when you have back to school, back in class orders coming from an administration, that's just prioritizing, I don't know, tuition dollars or making calculations that benefit the university, even if they put students and instructors and TAs in harm's way. I've heard a lot of folks kind of say, it's like when we, when those decisions were made and we weren't being heard, 
you know, it became more apparent than ever, right, that we need a union, right, or we need more structures to make our demands uh, heard, right, and to make the university respond to those. Same like folk, I mean, Chris Smalls walk, you know, led a walkout at Amazon over COVID safety policies, right? You know, this is definitely, I think, on top of what you said so beautifully, Jasmine, of just realizing, you know, uh, confronting our own mortality, right? And and thinking about what we can do in the present. I think that COVID, yeah, really has, has played a fundamental role in so much of the labor uh, energy and mobilization that we're seeing. And... Like I said, we, we, we're in the midst of a very exciting moment for you guys. Um, you have an election date now. Um, you know, the, the obviously uh, private universities like uh, try to look for as many ways as they possibly can to convince grad workers that they don't ha deserve a union, that in fact they legally don't have a right to a union. Yeah, yeah. So we won't get bogged down in that. But I just want to like say like for folks watching and listening – Elections happening January 30th and 31st. What do folks need to know um, on campus and off? Uh, and what can folks watching and um, listening to this do to show support for y'all and Teachers and Researchers United? Yeah, as, as for the election, it is the 30th and 31st. If I'm not wrong, there are two four-hour blocks on each day. First from 9 to 1, and then, uh, what was it again? Uh, 4 to Eight. Four to eight. Voting is going to be in-person only, and um, there is going to be a voting location on each campus. And um, as of the latest information, that is the school that you get your degree from. The reason that matters is because there are some programs where students are on different campuses. Um, so it's important to know where someone's expected to vote. Um, as, for, as for what other people can do to support, I'm having trouble with that one. Um, been so focused on the bargaining unit and the um, well, I guess another way to ask that is, like, have you gotten much support from the rest of the campus community? Are you, are, are faculty signing statements or undergrads, like anything that folks can be looking out for to even just vocalize support for the effort? Well, we have a Twitter page. You can retweet our lovely tweets. My, one of my friends, we're all friends here, but yeah. one of my friends in my lab yeah. helps run the Twitter page. Um, to retweet, I think a major help would be talking to your friends about the union and um, unionization and what that means and why you plan on voting yes. Um, we have majority of graduate students that are planning on voting yes when um, the election comes. So if the fear is that, you know, oh, it's just me, I'm afraid of what my peers would think, your peers are going to think you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like, majority of us, at, from the car drop we see, especially less than a month, super majority. Like, people want this union. So if you're on the fence, talk to somebody. The, go to our website. Um, if you search truejhu, true it'll come up. Um, we have so many answers to questions that you might have. 
or reach out to any of us. We're all so willing, me, Martin, Andrew, Caleb, yeah. literally everybody who's super involved in True, we're, we're excited to answer any question because, I don't know, we, we really believe in this. So, um, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Jasmine, Martin, thank you both so much for sitting down with me here at The Real News. I really, really appreciate it. Give them hell on January 30th and 31st. We will. We will. Why? Why will we? Because <laughs> when we fight, we win. <laughs> Hell yeah. And Baltimore's a union town. Baltimore's a union town. Couldn't have said it better myself, baby. So for everyone watching, this is Maximilian Alvarez. Before you go, please head on over to therealnews.com forward slash support. Become a monthly sustainer of our work so we can keep bringing you important coverage and conversations just like this. Thank you so much for watching.